Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. As you can see, our next series coming up, When the Devil Knocks. Now, let me give you a little backstory into that, why we're going in that direction. So uh, one of the things that I've watched over the course of uh, 18, 20 years of being in ministry is just how Satan works. And so I told a lot of people leading up to Baptism Sunday, you know, this happens around Baptism Sunday all the time. And again, it happens over, over other times throughout the year. But, you know, um, Satan tends to take ground that doesn't belong to him. You know, and then the church wakes up and says, we're taking the ground back, right? Like, we're coming back. That was never yours to begin with. We're going to claim what was already ours, and this is baptism, right? So baptism Sunday is we're taking back what you've stolen away, but it rightfully belongs to us, and it rightfully belongs to the Lord. And so you start climbing to the top of that mountain, and you're taking ground, and you're taking ground, and you're taking ground. But what happens is you get to the top of the mountain, Right? And you claim it victory, you know, Baptism Sunday, you claim victory. 41 people are baptized, all kinds of people getting baptized at HU. Like things are happening, right? And you stand on the top of the mountain and all of a sudden, right, Satan, who was somewhat silent in your life, has now awakened up, right? Because he was okay when you're on the bottom of the mountain letting him have his ground and his authority and his things in your life. But when you started taking back what was rightfully yours, he's like, that's enough. So he comes to the top of the mountain and his biggest thing for you is to get you to retreat. Right? Like what he's trying to get you to do is when you're on the top of that mountain, his biggest thing is, is to bring enough of a barrage that in the midst of the enemy fighting back against you, you will retreat. And part of the reason that you'll retreat is because you really don't know, right? Like you really, you really are misunderstanding what's happening in the spiritual realm. And the other reason we're going to do this is because a long time ago, and if you've come to Life Church, you've heard this before, but, you know, God gave me a pretty profound vision, you know, in my life. And I had somebody draw it out because I thought for sure I'd forget it, you know, right after it happened. I'm like, somebody come over here. I want to tell you specifically what happened. And I had him draw it out. And it's sitting up in my office today because I always thought, like, I got to look at it to remember it. But in that picture, God transformed the whole room that I was in after an accident that I was in. And I came home and transformed the whole room into a picture of what was happening in the spiritual realm for the battle for my life. And I, after it all went away, I said, like, God, why would you ever show this to me? And he said, I showed you that because I wanted you to understand the battle that was going on for your soul and the souls of your children so that you can tell the rest of the world the same battles going on for them. Right? And so for the rest of my life, I've always said, like, I want to do the best I can to help people understand the battle that's going on in the spiritual realm. Because there is a fight going on for your life and a fight going on for your family and a fight going on for your children. And we have to understand it to be able to fight back. Right? So that's the whole idea of when the devil knocks. I'm excited about that series to come. Hope you'll come back and I hope you'll stick with us through that whole, I don't know, six or seven weeks of, of looking at spiritual warfare. And hopefully we can, again, learn to fight the battle and be able to do what God's called us to. Another couple quick things before we get started into wrapping up our series. Um, so we've always been about, Life Church has always been about doing things on purpose, right? Doing the best we can to do things on purpose, being very intentional, and trying to teach other people to live on purpose, to buy on purpose, all of that stuff. And so when we created the Cafe of Hope, it's like get coffee on purpose, get food on purpose. When it was created Champs Academy, it was work out on purpose because we're going to give away, you know, all of the profits and we're going to use the profits to support other ministry stuff that's going on in the world. Well, now we have another thing. So uh, Life Church, the Cafe of Hope, has partnered with Brickhouse Farms or Brickhouse Meats, and uh, we're going to start offering where you can buy meat through the Cafe of Hope. And so you just go on uh, the Life Church app, and you'll click on the Cafe of Hope, and there's an online ordering form. You can order everything, sends a ticket to um, the cafe. They'll package it all up for you. 24 hours later, you can pick a pickup time, and you can come and get it. All kinds of different stuff, all kinds of different meat, but you can buy it in smaller quantities, so you don't have to buy so much. And you can know this, that your purchase of meat will go to be uh, supporting foster care in the state of Indiana. Your purchase of meat will go to support orphanages that are being uh, raised up all around the world. 
right? So that's a part of the whole vision behind it. And so as a, as a church who says, like, we, we want to be on board with all of those things, if we can help you to be intentional with the things that you do and the things that you're going to be doing every day. So we hope that you'll participate in it, try it out. You just have to go on the app, click the Cafe of Hope, and on there you'll see Brickhouse Farms or Brickhouse Meats, and you can order online and you can get your stuff from there. Or I think there's a TV out there right now where you can see it scrolling through if you want to know a little bit more about what's happening. The other thing, the women's event tonight, starting at four o'clock. If you're not signed up and you want to be a part of it, you still have a chance, you know, to make sure that you can be a part of that. But we'd love for you to come celebrate with the women of the church, what's going on, what's happening. And really, you know, kind of goes with what we're talking about today, learning that it's okay not to be okay, right? Like sometimes in life, it's not okay, right? And we want to run away from those things. But at the end of the day, you know, sometimes in our life, it's okay to not be okay. So she'll be speaking on that. Great opportunity. Hope you still will get involved. All right, so we're bringing to close a series called The Church Defined, and we did this series called The Church Defined. For this reason, we want you to kind of get the idea of who we are as a church. What are the things that we're going to do so that if you're going to participate at Life Church, we're going to help you understand this is what we're about, this is how you can get involved, and this is how we want to help you be able to complete your mission. So I'm going to sum it up real quick. It's been, you know, uh, five weeks that we've been talking about it, but this is the, the uh, synopsis of what the uh, series was about. You have a mission given to you by God, and if you call yourself a Christian person, that mission you're held accountable for when you stand in front of Jesus Christ someday at the last part of your life, right? So you have a mission. The mission was pretty simple. You need to be reaching people. You need to be teaching people, and you need to be sending people back out. Right? If you call yourself a Christian, that's the mission that Jesus Christ gave you when he left the earth. And when you stand in front of Jesus someday, he's going to be asking you about what? One, what you did with him. Did you accept the blood of Jesus Christ to you know, uh, forgive your sins, past, present, and future? And what did you do with your life? And you're going to be accountable for those things. So we as a church said, what should our mission be? Our mission should be to help you accomplish your mission, period. Right? So what we were trying to give you is a backstory or a back picture into how do we as a church help support what we think you should be doing, right? And not only you, us, you know, as people of the church, but how do we help you accomplish your mission? So if you haven't heard the previous ser- the messages, go back and listen to them because we're going to wrap it up with this, something that I think, you know, is foundational, not think, I know it's foundational at Life Church, and I want you to see it, because if you're going to stay here for a long time, this is going to come out. Like, if you're going to be a part of Life Church, this is going to come out in the decisions that we make, and just so you know, you're going to be challenged to go down the same road, and the question's always going to be the same. As a church, we've been asked from the beginning, do you trust me? And as people, he continues to ask the question, do you trust me? Now, here's what I want you to see. One of the things that's perplexing to me in the church, right, this has always been perplexing to me, is, is that you look at the life of the disciples. So if you watch the life of the disciples, so in the beginning, remember everybody that Jesus picked was somebody that was a reject from the rabbinic tradition, right? So everybody that he picked essentially failed out of rabbi school and had to go back to living out the family trade, right? That's what would happen to them. So they didn't get through rabbi school. They weren't picked, picked, they weren't selected. So they went back to doing the family trade. So when Jesus called them, he called these disciples who were back doing the family business and said, will you follow me? Now, here's what's funny about the disciples. If you sit there and I hear people saying this, well, I could be so much better if Jesus was just with me. Like it'd be so much easier, right? Well, look at the disciples, Right, So here's disciples walking with Jesus, and he's standing in front of them, and they still, over time, people are like, what are you doing? Right? Like, if you read the Gospels, one of the things you see in the Gospels is, you know, Jesus is saying, like, this is what you should do, and then the next thing you know, you look at them, they're like, what are you doing? Like, didn't you not hear me? You know, what's wrong with you? Do you have any faith? What's happening? And so these disciples, you know, were, were people that even though Jesus was living with them, Jesus was walking with them, Things didn't go quite the way they should in the beginning. And the other thing that you saw, right, if you look at the whole picture of of the disciples, you saw them as they were growing, saying that they believed something, but then when it was tested, it didn't really work. Right, this is what you see. 
Then fast forward, right? So then if you fast forward, Jesus ascends, Jesus leaves, they get to the end of their life, and everyone but one of the disciples were martyred for their faith. How did they get there? Right? How did they get to that place? Because just think about it from the life of Peter for a second, right? So here's Peter, right? The, the boisterous one of the group, right? Fisherman called by Jesus, the boisterous one of the group, but the one who would say things that, never always, that didn't always turn out the way they were supposed to be. So remember, Peter's out on the boat. Jesus comes walking on water. You remember this story? So he's walking on water. Peter looks at him and said, if you just call on me, right, I'll come to you. So Jesus says, come to me. Peter gets out, he walks on the water. Pretty soon he looks at the waves and he sinks. When his eyes were on Jesus, he said what he believed he could do all of a sudden halfway out there, his belief in that went away. And when it went away, he sunk. Same thing. Peter, when Jesus was talking about his death, he's like, it's never going to happen. We're going to fight for you, and you're never going to die, and I'm never going to let these things happen to you. You're never going to be beaten. You're never going to be crucified because we're going to stand up for you right? That's what he said. Peter was, I will die for you. That's what Peter said. You go on, Jesus is arrested. All of the disciples flee. Peter feels a little bit bad about it. Standing outside of the room where Jesus is being persecuted, he's standing around a fire and a little girl, now remember this, when that long ago, Peter said, I'm going to die for you. Then a little girl says, are you a follower of Jesus? And what was Peter's response? I don't know who he is. And you see the, the trend here? A lot of people can say they believe something, but when it's tested, do you see that? But when it's tested, what you believe truly gets revealed because we have a lot of people saying things, a lot of people singing things, a lot of people praising things, and then when it's tested, they're like, wait a second, I don't have any of that. All right? Because it's easy to a certain extent to raise your hand and say God is the God of until it happens to you right? Like until those things happen in your own life. And what I want us to see, right, what I want to see in the, in the midst of all of this is that we as Christian people have to work through this, and this is why. This was the perplexing thing that I was talking about. And this is just my perspective. So my perspective of the church has always been the same, and I'm hoping that it continues to change over the years, which it has some. But here was my, my uh, problem with the church, is a lot of people came to church religiously and they became better people, but they were no more faithful than when they started. Does that make sense? So they became more religious, like they stopped doing some of the bad things that they were doing, but when it came to faith, they were no better than they were when they first walked in the church. And honestly, the church was excited about that. And I'm like... Why would you be excited just because somebody stopped cussing, but they're reaching nobody for Jesus? You know what I mean? Like, that didn't make any sense to me. You just created more religious people. You created more people that were like Pharisees. You didn't create faithful believers of Jesus Christ. And I kept sitting back saying, like, what's going on? You know, that when you come and you step foot in the church, because here's what you know. I know this. If you use the Bible as a self-help manual for your relationships and on your decisions in life, you will be a better person. And do you realize that that's how most people interact with Scripture? Most people are interacting with Scripture of like, it's a good self-help manual. It tells me to do this in relationships, and it tells me to do this in my life, and it tells me to do this with my money, and, it tells, and you just check all the boxes, and you just feel like a better human being. But do you realize that we might have missed the point? Like the point of reading scripture was never so that you could become a better human being, it's so that you could be in relationship with your creator. And you know what grows a relationship with your creator? Faith. And do you see why? You know, it's always perplexing when people read the scripture of the person that stood in front of Jesus and Jesus, you know, and said, I've done this in your name and this in your name and this in your name and this in your name. And Jesus looked at him and said, I don't know you. And you know why? Because the church has celebrated for years people who are better people and more religious and cared less about people who were faithful. And that misses the point. So what we're going to talk about today is, is like, 
If you're going to interact with Life Church and you're going to interact with the things we're doing, here's you're going to, you're going to hear this all the time. I don't know. Here's what you say when a test, when a test comes, you've got to ask yourself this question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Does the church trust me? How can we walk down that road so that we can understand what that looks like? Because here's what you're going to know. You never know what you believe until it's tested. We all there? Like you can say what you believe, but until it's tested, until it's revealed, you can say a lot, but when that test comes, you're going to know. And here's what I'm hoping for. Listen, get it revealed today. Don't wait, right? Like don't run away from testing. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Why? Because you need to be revealed where you're at in your faith, right? Those things need to be revealed in your life because naturally we as people, right, we don't put ourselves in a position of testing, right? Naturally, you put yourself in a position of comfort, and until something goes wrong, you never really do anything about it. You know, part of that is, I mean, this is just a little snapshot of it, but part of that, I know that's true because I was a mechanic for a lot of years, and you know what happened every time it snowed? Because I used to work at Zerker Tire. Every time it snowed, there was a line five miles long with all the people who thought their tires were okay. Their tires aren't okay. You found out now that there was snow. And I'm like, what were you doing for the last three months? Dude, did anybody look at your tires? Do you look at your tires, right? Do you pay any attention to what's going on? Or you just wait till the test comes and it fails, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, you got to be able to do something about it, right? Or, or the same concept, you know, is, is that people are like, uh, you know, my AC is good until, until it's hot, right? Like nobody really knows that your AC is bad until the summer, and then all of a sudden the first heat wave, and this right, Scott, and this is the way it works, right? The first heat wave of the year, everybody who thought their air conditioning was good all of a sudden is lined up. I got to get in right now. I might die inside of my car, right? I didn't even know the windows rolled down, right? Like nobody knew windows rolled down anymore and the air can come in your vehicle because when the AC is bad or you know what it's like when you think you're in pretty good shape until you do something to realize you're not in good shape? You've been there like, I'm feeling pretty good until... And I don't know what that until is, or like you think you're prepared for a test, and then you go to take the test, and you get your grade back, and you're like, wow, <laughs> I thought I was, but now the test revealed to a certain extent where you were at in life. And so that's where we want to be, right? What we want to do is we want to walk down this road where you understand how to respond to testing, okay? Because the test is going to reveal, and how you respond to the test is whether or not your faith is going to grow, or whether or not you're going to continue what I think happens in the church all the time, which is you run away from the test and you go to the other direction and try to find comfort. And then at the end of 10 years, 20 years, 15 years being in the church, you're no more faithful than you were in the beginning. You're just more religious, right? So our hope is, is that we can create you being more faithful. So if you have a Bible, turn to James. This is going to be James 1, 2 through 4. Now, again, Remember, if you're reading scripture, this is something that you can always go back to. So if you ever are like, I just need somebody to tell me the way it is, read the book of James, right? So if you read the book of James, it's like, if you like, don't want to be confused with stories, there's not that many. It's just like, you know what you should believe? And if you're not believing it, here's the problem, right? So the great thing about the book of James is if you want somebody to speak to you bluntly, the book of James speaks to you bluntly. And in the book of James, he deals with this whole idea, how should we respond to testing, right? Because here's what James knew, right? And, and I think most of us know this. We just, I don't know that we can fully comprehend it. James knew that testing is going to happen in the life of every single believer. No one is exempt from it, right? So nobody in this room is exempt from testing. So James knew that it was really important because it's going to be a pivotal circumstance in your life, right? Testing's going to be a pivotal circumstance. So he knew that he had to address what should be the response of somebody who calls themselves a believer, okay? Now remember, this isn't a suggestion, okay? So sometimes you read the Bible as a suggestion of like, well, when testing comes, like maybe you can, maybe you can't respond. Because what he's trying to tell you is this response garners this result. And if you don't have this response, this result isn't coming. 
that makes sense? We're tracking down the same road. So when he says it, I want you to hear this in a way that it's not a suggestion. But here's what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds. Now, let's be honest. How many people inside of this room are thinking, dude, I can't wait for the next trial of my life? <laughs> right? Like very few people in this room will look at trials and look at testing being like, I can't wait for them to come. Now, I'm not advocating that we should be sitting around saying, God, like just keep piling it on. I love it. Right? <laughs> Like, just keep throwing all the obstacles, keep throwing all the bad stuff in my life. It's the greatest thing you've ever done. But I will tell you this, right? Understanding what he's talking about and why we have tension against this is going to be the difference in your response, okay? So here's what I want to teach you, or here's what I think. I think what you've grown up with, okay, so whether it's been grown up inside of your family or grown up inside of the church, here's what you've been taught all of your life. Create, create a utopia that makes you comfortable, okay? So when you grow up, make decisions that will make you or get you what you want, right? So when you're in high school, make a decision for college. When you're in college, make a decision for, because remember, we're trying to create this world that's to get you exactly what you want. Pick this right guy, pick this right school, pick this right degree, pick this right job. Do all these things, you know, make sure you put money away, make sure you save your money, make sure you do. Why do we do all of those things? Right? Because we want to create a world of exactly what we want. Is that not true? Right? Like we work really hard to create a world, or again, I call it a utopia, but it's something where you've painted this beautiful picture of everything that you want, and then all of a sudden, you get smacked in the face. Anybody ever been there? Right? Yeah, like you had a utopia, and then you went to live, Right? Or you had a utopia and then you got married. Or you had a utopia and then you went to school. Or you had a utopia, right? Like all of those things that could happen, right? Like that's just the stuff that goes on. Like you get a picture of what you think things should be and then all of a sudden something happens to break up your utopia or to break up your comfort or to break up everything that you had a picture of, right? What do you do and how do you respond? Because here's what I think is the problem. You know what you've been taught? Put it back together so you can be comfortable again. That's what you've been taught. You've been taught to repiece your life back to where you want it to be instead of consider it pure joy when you are tested because inside of it, God's got something for you. Stop trying to piece together what he let break. We're hearing this? He let it break for a reason. And the reason is your response. Because he's trying to do something in you. Right? He's trying to do something in you that only, now hear me when I say this, because I know you don't want to hear this, but only testing could do. You tried to get it done reading the Bible. You tried to get it done going to church, and God couldn't get it done in either, in those place, either one of those places. So he brought this. And when you run away, when you piece together, or you try to make your utopia back to where you want it to be, your faith never grows. Never. You never get to the place where you get your faith to be like, okay, I'm going to sit inside of this testing, and you know what? Instead of asking how can I be comfortable again, I'm going to say, God, what are you trying to reveal to me? What was missing? Because you realize that, right? All testing for this reason. Because you know that testing of your faith produces Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's trying to do something in you that can only get done if you'll sit inside of the testing. He needs something out of you because here's what I don't think that you know, or maybe you do know. You realize like God has this plan for you in your life. 
And, the, and, and again, sometimes we're missing his plan because you're trying to walk down the comfort instead of calling. Does that make sense, right? Like you, you, you've made this comfortable path and, and you've resisted this plan because you tried it and then all of a sudden it wasn't very comfortable. It wasn't utopia anymore. It wasn't what your parents said it was going to be. Everything wasn't as good as you thought it was going to be. And so then you went and created a fake world where you think things are good, but you know what? You're missing the best thing. See, and I think that's happening so much in our world today. Like, part of the problem in our world today is, is isolation. You know, I think we live in accepted isolation today. You know, where isolation would have never been accepted 20 years ago, we accept it today. And inside of this isolation, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, is where you can create this false sense of reality. Because you can't do it around other people. Because people are going to be like, are you nutty? Right? Like you tell that to somebody else and they're going to be like slapping you around. Like that ain't reality. But inside of the virtual world, inside of the social media world, inside of your world that you've created, you can make it whatever you want it to be and nobody's going to tell you any different. And you can make whatever life you want. Right? And you can create whatever life you want. You know what's funny? People looking from the outside because they, they won't see you personally, but from the outside everything looks fine, but from the inside you're dying. Right? And you've created this shell of people that are you know, thinking everything's okay, and God's not getting to do work in you because you haven't allowed this testing. You've just been trying to create utopia, or you've been trying to create a perfect world again, and God wants to do something in you, and it's missing. Right, so here's what I want you to see. Today, if you're in the midst of testing and you've been trying to put the pieces back together, stop trying to put the pieces back together. They don't fit, speaking from experience. The utopia world that you tried to put together in the beginning, when God breaks it, don't try to put it back together. Because you know what? It's still a broken vase. You know what's on the other side of it? A beautiful painting, picture, vase, calling of what God wanted for your life, but you can't ever get it done because you'd be too busy piecing the broken vase back together, right? He has something beautiful for you, but you can't see it because you're over here working on putting something back together. I want you to see that. If you're in the midst of testing today, put it down. Put the broken pieces down. You can't put them back together. And look what God wants to reveal or unveil inside of you, right? Because we have to know that, that this is what he's trying to get done with you. Now, like I said, easier said than done. So I want to give you a picture of my own life. So I'm going to, for you guys that have been here for a while, you might have heard these stories before, but it's okay. You know, I want to say them again. And the reason that I'm going to say them is for multiple reasons. One, if you're going to come to this church, you have to know that part of this church was shaped by answering this question. Do you trust me? And over and over and over again, personally, I had to answer the question, and the church had to answer the question over and over and over again. And understanding our response, right? Because what you see today, this is what I want you to see. So when you look around today, you're seeing years worth of, yes, we trust you, yes, we trust you, yes, we trust you, and this is part of the result of the trust of God. But I want you to know it wasn't always like this. I want you to understand that before this, and here's why I want you to understand it, not just to tell the story, but I want you to understand it because you know why most people miss the blessing of God? You know why most people don't ever get to see what God is doing? Because you quit too early. You give up too early. Like God has this plan and he's like, push through, push through. And you're like, it's just been taking forever. I've been doing this over and over again. How many years can it be till I see well, I want to show you this picture because what's happened today has been 25 years in the making, right? And I'm not only saying 25 years as a church and, and what was happening before, but where my faith is today is 25 years in the making, right? And in your faith, it's years in the making and how we respond will help you see that. Now, so I'm going to give you a little picture, right? It's a little picture of my journey and the church's journey. And inside of that, I hope you can learn from it, right? So, in the beginning, I've told people this uh, just really quick. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, one of the weirdest things ever is God asked me to be in full-time ministry. Very easy response for me. There's no way. I wasn't going to be a pastor because I saw pastors and I thought they were weird and all the stuff that goes with it, and I'm not going to do it, right? So in that, though, I was like, well, how about 
a youth pastor. Well, I had never been a youth pastor. I didn't even know if the church had a youth group, right? But I was like, how about being a youth pastor? Does that make sense? So I went, you know, by faith saying, God, you know, I just believe that this is what you want me to do. And, you know, I go there and I go to the pastor and I said, I want to be a youth pastor. And he's like, that's great. I didn't even ask if they had a youth program. But then the first week he says, okay, you guys are going to meet on Sunday nights. And they had met on and off. And, you know, so I'm thinking like, there's going to be a few kids, but there's something here. So the first night that we meet junior and senior high, the pastor's kids and one person, that was four people. And you know what I was saying, though? But God, I trust you. God, I believe. And these four are going to become eight. And these eight are going to become 16. And these 16 are going to become 32. And by the end of the year, you know what's going to happen? God's going to have a revival in this church. And there's going to be 100 youth kids. <laughs> you see how this goes? Right? Like, do you trust me? Because at the end of the year, there were seven. And what's your automatic response, right? Your automatic response is, what am I doing wrong? And, you know, what do we need to do? And do we need to have more games and more food and more stuff? And we need to attract more people because something's got to be wrong. Instead of just saying, you know what? God needed to do something in me. Had nothing to do with the numbers. God's going to bring people, not bring people. He had something he had to work on in me, and that was this. Do I trust him even though I can't see the result of it all? Because I was a results guy. Like, I was a mechanic, then a service manager, and ran that, you know, side of the business, so I was results. If you do, this is what happens. And if you do, this is what happens. But guess what? In the Christian world, it doesn't always work that way. You can do, and the result that you want isn't always what you want. And the question always becomes, but are you going to stay in the game? Right? Are you going to be a part of that? Well, that journey goes on, and, you know, God does work in the midst of being a youth pastor, but I had this ongoing dilemma, and it was like God had wanted me to be in full-time ministry, so I had this godly discontent that was always happening in my life. Didn't know what to do with it, but 15 years later, I finally decided, you know what? I'm going to give in. But here's the issue, right? I wanted to be a missionary, because I hated the local church, right? Like, I, I thought the local church was the dumbest thing ever. Like, people get together. Nobody new ever comes. They get together, and they argue about stupid things that don't matter, and you're voting on paint colors and carpet and cabinets and stupid things. Like, I'm never seeing anybody saved, not seeing anybody. You know what happened in the mission field? People are getting healed. People are getting saved. God, they're on fire. They're giving their life up for Jesus Christ. They're running into the red light districts where they could get murdered to rescue women. And then I come back to the church and you could barely get somebody to stay awake or stand up. And I'm like, who wants to do this? Right? Like who wants to get inside of a church where you can't stay awake when the rest of the world is on fire for Jesus? But then God said, you know what? I want you to plan a church. It will be a vehicle to change the world. I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay, All right, so I settled it. Okay, we're going to plant a lot that went into it, but planted in my heart or settled in my heart. We're going to plant a church, right? So uh, in the process of planting the church, the idea was, again, we had built in this kind of like comfort. We'll plant a church, but as long as it's in Adams County, because in Adams County, we knew everybody. We were in ministry there. We knew all these people. Surely Adams County needs a church, right? And so we'll do that. But then they came to us and said, nope, you're going to move to Huntington. Again, we didn't know anybody in Huntington, but that meant us moving over here, planting a church where we don't know one single person. And Huntington already had 110 churches, right? So we're like... Okay, but I guess if that's what you do, right? So we settled it, and, and to do that, though, we had to sell everything we owned. Now, if you know me, this is what you know, right? So if people were looking at us like, wow, what kind of faith does it take to sell everything you own and just go over there and start with nothing? What great faith, which it did take some faith to get to this point. But here's what you need to know. So I had a plan in case it didn't work, right? <laughs> So I had a 401k, you know, so at Zerk Retired, you know, you could like dollar for dollar, like they match no matter what you put in. So as a kid, I was taught like put in whatever you can. If you have an employer that's going to match and there is no limit on it, put as much as you can. So I had built this huge 401k. And 
when we were selling all of our stuff, I was going to have a lump sum of money left over, and I'm like, okay, these two things, just in case this doesn't work. And I knew I could always go find a job. But then the other part of it was, but then I'm going to come into a community and I don't really know anybody. So I sat down with Life Church and said, okay, if we're going to plant a church, how about this? You'll pay my salary for the first five years. You'll provide people so it's not so bad in the beginning, right? So just send over about 100 people. You got 1,300 of them. Send them over here so it doesn't seem so weird to preach to nobody, right? Because we don't know anybody. And provide us a ban and oversee the building, 60,000 square foot building, because it's going to take a lot for us to get started, right? Okay. So here's the point where God's like, do you trust me? So I'm taking these steps, and in my mind, I'm saying, God, I trust you with everything. But I had a plan just in case. Anybody see that, right? Like, it was a movement of faith. And you know what's funny about how God works? So we got to that place then where he's asking me this question, do you trust me? And right from the beginning, I had to answer that question, right? Because here's what happened. Two months before we're ready to plant the church, Life Church Bluffton's pastor moves to Orlando to plant his own church. A church of 1,300 people now went to a church of 600 people. They come over, meet with me over here and said, oh, by the way, we can't pay you. We're not sending any people. We can't oversee the building, and there's nothing we can do about it. But good luck. We'll be praying for you, right? So that whole, like, safeguard of, hey, we're going to plant this church, and we don't have to feel so bad because we don't know anybody. God, all of a sudden, like, okay, do you still trust me? You see where I'm going with all this, right? So then I'm like, you know what? Okay, so that's tough. We'll get over it. I think people will come. I still have this. If it doesn't work, I have this bit of money put away you know, my 401k. So then Sherry, within the first year, gets cancer, and we haven't had any insurance transferred over because at Zerker's, you had full coverage insurance. Here, we had nothing, right? She gets cancer. Guess who got my 401k? Parkview Hospital. Because that was the decision. So everything that I had, I'm like, but I still have this chunk of money left. Everybody tracking with me? Still got this chunk of money left. So I got this chunk of money left, and I still use this. I know for a while it's going to get better. It didn't take within three months, and all the money was gone. So you know what's going through your mind right now? Right? You said you trust me. Do you still? So in the midst of the testing, when I take all of your safeguards away, do you trust me? And I had to answer that question, right? For us to move on as a church, for me to move on, I had to make this decision. Do I still trust him even though I have nothing to fall back on? Who did he want to do a work on? What did he want to see inside of my heart? He had to do work in my heart. Well, all of this was happening. Funny thing is, I, I showed Nick this the other day. I got my wallet out. Well, uh, my, the wallet I have today, I bought 18 years ago. After all of this happened, you know, and things were going on, I was walking through a bookstore, and in that bookstore, there was this wallet, and again, remember, like, money's gone, church isn't going away things, you know, I'm not, how are we going to keep this thing going? So I see this wallet, and it has a cross on it, and it says, Jesus, Savior, on the wallet, right? And I looked at it, and it just felt like God saying, you should buy that wallet just to be reminded it's always my money and not yours. So every time you open it up, it's always my money and not yours. So I bought it, and I'm like, I don't have anything to put in it anyway. What matters, right? <laughs> Like, we don't have any choices. I mean, I'll buy the sucker, but there ain't nothing to put in it. But I bought that wallet, and so many people have tried to buy me wallets after that. I'm like, everything's falling out of it right now, and I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to be reminded every day it's his and not mine, and his and not mine, and his and not mine. And every decision I make, I'm going to be reminded it's his and not mine. Okay? But we get to this place, so now we're trying to figure out, do I trust God with money? So we get to this place where, God, I trust you, it's all yours. But you know what? We're still leading a church where there ain't no money coming in because we did reach some people, but these people were unchurched people. And you know what happens with unchurched people? They don't get, like, church people don't even get giving, right? Then you get unchurched people, and they're like, dude, like, and they shouldn't. Right? So we still had all this stuff going on. I'm at the place where nobody's really coming. We got a few people coming out. We don't have any money. What do you do with this building? And so there's this tension. You know what? Maybe I can't lead a church. Like, I'd never done it before. Right? So maybe it's not me. Maybe you need to pick these experienced pastor people who've led churches. Right? So I'm like, let's go find this you know, guy out there, and he'll be an associate, and maybe he'll just take over. Maybe the church will flourish because maybe the problem was me. So we're out there. We're looking for people, and just so happened... The church was having some trouble, and we started seeing people trickle into Life Church. You know how that happens. Sometimes churches have trouble, and then they come to your church, and we'll see how things are going. 
Well, anyway, the next thing I know, this pastor shows up and says, hey, you know, this is going on in the church. I'm going to be done. I'm going to be open. So I'm like, maybe this is, maybe this is God's answer to prayer, right? Like maybe this is what God was saying. When we were praying for all this to change, maybe we should just hire this guy because you know what he told me in the meeting? This is what he told me. I can bring you 100 people and $100,000. Now, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, maybe this is the answer to prayer. Fix all of our problems. You get an experienced pastor who knows what he's doing, unlike me, right? And then you get money to help us get through because you know who is all going to come? Churched people. But I left the meeting, and here's what I heard. Do you trust me? And I went back to the next interview and I said, I can't hire you. That's not the way to build a church. You build a church through church people from another church who are unhappy, right? And through a pastor who's essentially splitting a church and bringing people. We're going to do it. You know how hard that was then to come back to the next Sunday and there's still nobody here and still nobody given, but I had to make a decision. You know what I said? It's all God's money. It's not my money. Well, he tested me in that. Do I really believe that? Because at that point, there was no money to go around and there was nothing happening at the time. And the same thing has happened. Cafe of Hope, you know, Champs Academy, like all of them started with an intention. Like we started Champs Academy. Three football coaches came together. I bought all the equipment. We brought two other people. And the whole reason was this. We were going to train high school students because they were paying too much to have to go to Fort Wayne. And so I went out there, bought all this equipment. We were going to build this business. The church was going to let us use it. We were going to do it. And guess what? Within a year, the high school here in Huntington decided, you're not going to train any more athletes. Boy, that was a good investment. So then it's just this course of, right? We start the Cafe of Hope, and at the end of the day, the first year, the people that we hired, we were going to restore them. They were in ministry, and they had a problem. We were going to restore these people and help them start the Cafe of Hope. We get to the first year. They get it started. $40,000 is missing. They sue us. I still don't even know how this happens other than the court system's jacked up. They sued us, and they won. I'm like, what is going on in the midst of this? is all within the first couple of years of trying to get things going. Right? Start the Cafe of Hope. And the reason I tell you this is because we had to place then. We say, to just shut this down and don't do this. It's too hard. And don't do the Cafe of Hope because it's too hard. What I wanted you to see is what you see today is years worth of saying, I trust you. And I trust you. And I trust you. And I will keep trusting you to see you do these things. Right? Same thing. I told you this and you've heard this story. We got to the position of COVID. Anybody remember COVID? Right, because it came to the place where lots of places were shut down, and the question for us was, is, you know, we shut down in the beginning because I thought it was Ebola. Like, I never watched the news, and I thought somebody said, like, if you touch somebody, blood comes out of your eyes, you know? So I was like, you probably shut down. I don't watch the news. I don't have any idea what it is. So if you're telling me that's what's happening, that's, you know, we're going to shut down, and we talked about it as a church. But then after a while, we're like, we're going to open up, right? Like, we're going we're gonna to open up. And just so you understand, that wasn't a popular decision, right? And when I say that, I want you to understand it wasn't even a popular decision amongst everybody here, right? Not only was it unpopular out there, it was also unpopular in here, right? But I came to this place where God asked me the question, this isn't anything to do with COVID, this was about me. Right? Because here's what I said. At that point, we had already been online for a really long time. So nobody ever even had to come to church. They didn't have to come to church before COVID. Like we had a great online community before COVID ever hit. Right? And I just flat out said, and I said this to my staff, and I said this to everybody. We're going to open up, but this is what I want you to know. If you don't feel comfortable as a staff member, we will continue to pay you, and you don't have to come to church. And we said to every single person in this room, you don't have to show up either. But at the end of the day, I will stand here and preach to nobody before I sit at home and, ch and wait for change to happen. Why? Because it was personal for me, right? For me, personal was God, do you, he was asking me this question, do you trust me? Because it was not popular in here or out there, but at the end of the day, I had to decide, do you trust me or not? Because it could have had ramifications that would have made us right back to the beginning, right? But we had to make those decisions. And what I want you to see is this understanding, right? You're going to have these moments in your life. How you respond is whether or not your faith is going to be built or whether or not you're going to have no faith at all. 
How you respond to those things are gonna change the trajectory of whatever your future is. So now, the worship team's gonna come back up. I'm gonna give you a picture of this. So you guys remember the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right, so if you wanna look it up, you can go to it. It's in Daniel 3. And when I give you this picture, I hope this puts this all into perspective, right? So here's what was happening. Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians, right? King Nebuchadnezzar said this, go and find all of the good Jewish people, right? Whoever the good ones are, bring them into Babylon. All of the rest of the Jews can stay in the, stay in the uh, uh, demolished Jerusalem, Okay, so I want you to think about this for a second because I think we you don't understand the story completely. If you stayed back in Jerusalem, although you got to continue to be a Jew, your life was terrible because you were living in the midst of destruction, right? You were living in the midst of famine. You were living in the midst of no walls to protect you from any of the thieves. You were, you were living in a time that was very uncertain for the Jewish people who were left behind in Jerusalem. For those people in Babylon, life was good for them. Think about this. The Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, made their life very comfortable. They lived in houses. They ate food. Their, their city was beautiful, right? They had no problem. Comfort, right? The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, created comfort. Except for one problem. In the midst of all of that comfort, here's what King Nebuchadnezzar said. I'm going to build the statue of me, and all you have to do is when the flutes play and the music plays, all you have to do is bow down. Even just one time a day, all you have to do is just bow down to this one God, and then you can go back to being comfortable, right? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a choice just like you do. Because they could have kept their utopia, right? They could have just bowed down. It's just one thing. What's the big deal? Comfort over sacrifice, right? What's the big deal? I mean, the rest of this time, God, we're worshiping you. It's just this one time we're not. Why? The people that, because there were Jews who did bow down. Why would they make that decision? Because they valued comfort over faith. Just like you and just like me. You value staying more comfortable than you do on more faithful. But here's what Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. And they knew the consequences that went that. Aggravated King Nebuchadnezzar to the point where he's like, somebody needs me to get in front of those people and I need to talk to them, right? We got in front of them and he essentially said, do you know that if you don't bow down, if you don't go, give in, not only are you not going to be comfortable, you're gonna be thrown in the fiery furnace. So here was their decision. Comfort or faith, and if I make a faith decision, it'll lead to death. Think about this, if you, were, if you were given this decision, what would your response be? Go back to comfort, go back to utopia, go back to creating your little world, or when God asks you the question, trust me, what decision would you make? Because listen to how they responded. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Like they had belief and faith that in the fiery furnace was better than comfort. Because inside of the fiery furnace, it's the only place that you can be delivered. You can't be delivered in the comfort of your home. You can't see the angel of God in the comfort of your life. Only in the fiery furnace will you see deliverance come. And because you are outside of that fiery furnace, creating your utopia, your faith isn't growing because you're not giving God a chance. So he says, inside of that, we believe for deliverance when we believe that an angel can. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Listen, you know what they made a decision? Delivered or not delivered, it's better to be where God is. Inside of the fiery furnace, deliverance is gonna happen one way or the other, you hear me? And because you're running away from it right now, 
because testing is coming and you're going in the opposite direction because you want to run away from that and you want to create your utopia, God's like, just if you get here, this is where I am. Come where I am. Let me deliver you because it will grow your faith. Will it always turn out the way that you want it to? No. But here's what you can be guaranteed. You'll never stand in front of Jesus someday and him say, I don't know you. You'll never have that in your life. Right? And that's what I want for each one of us. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So, Heavenly Father, when we come to you today, Lord, we know and understand that it's difficult sometimes to take what we say and turn it into the actions of our lives. So, Lord, I pray today the words that come out of our mouth turn into action. Lord, I pray today that you will blow up our world of comfort. Lord, I'd so much rather be uncomfortable and with you than comfortable without you. Lord, blow it up. Take it away. Bring us to the place where you are. And if it means going into the fiery furnace to see your deliverance, whether deliverance to come home or deliverance from the furnace, I want to be where you are. I want to give you a chance to deliver me. Because at the end of the day, I'm here on this earth to have great faith. I'm here on this earth to trust you. And so, Lord, today, as we sing, as we move out of this place, we want to proclaim this, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. And, Lord, we want to be where you're at. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. I know you make a way and I don't always understand and I don't always get to see but I will believe it yes I will believe it cause you make mountains move you make giants fall you use songs of praise to shake
one more song for you guys this morning. I think we all know this one. Just like Pastor Mike said, we are going to raise a hallelujah in the midst of the storm. Let's sing. I'm a raise a hallelujah in the presence of my
You know, so one of the things that I want you to realize as we share through this journey, I couldn't have said that years ago, right? Because I always thought God was outside of the storm, right? So I wasn't singing hallelujah in the storm. I was trying to get out of it. But I can truly say today that I can say hallelujah in the midst of a storm because that's where he is. The storm is not going to overcome and the storm's not going to overtake because inside of the storm of your life is where he is. And so we can sing hallelujah because that's where he is. So again, how we as a church will always remember we need to trust him. And in trusting him, we're going to see him do amazing things. So thanks for being here with us at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We hope to see you back next week as we start When the Devil Knocks and get into spiritual warfare. We'll see you next week.